Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Forbidden archaeology. Forgotten history. Divination. Magic. Cryptozoology. UFOs. Nature. Science and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Listening to Main Street Universe, the show and network reminding you that the mysteries and possibilities of the universe are closer to Main Street than you may have ever imagined. All right, 
right, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Green Magic Green Medicine with your hostess, Miss Susan Weed. I am Daniel Michael, the founder and co-creator of the Main Street Universe Radio Network, and I see Susan is in the queue, so I'm going to go ahead and bring her on. Welcome and green blessings, Susan Weed. Oh, hi. How are you tonight? I am well after a long and great week, as well as some pain involved, but I won't go into detail there. <laughs> but well, uh, I mean, physical pain, not emotional. Should be just about out of this, out of the recording phase and into the torture phase. Perhaps, and uh, it's been just some physical things um, through music. I don't feel emotional pain anymore, just because I express it all. <laughs> I'm just playing a little bit there when I said, but in truth, uh, yeah, it was just a rough but beautiful week. I loved going well, away. Always says too, like when we sing a series of like really small notes, he says, "Now, don't you feel better?" Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I always say, if you say so, <laughs> <laughs> or like if you regurgitate and you feel better. There's so many ways to feel better after something bad, right? And right. And basically, so, but it was also a very fun week because I went to Connecticut up in New England and had a New England Thanksgiving. So that was also very nice and lovely and everything. Oh, wonderful. All right. This is my easing for the uh, last week. I said, you know, certainly it was a convenient and rather pretty lie that I was fed as a child about, the, you know, the oh the the pilgrims, you know, the first fathers and the natives came together and had this wonderful Thanksgiving dinner. They probably didn't. They probably, you know, felt annoyed at each other. Um, but it's not impossible because it was um, part of the code of ethics of the people of the great peaceful nations that when someone knew came to their territory, they gave them a baked pumpkin. Oh. And there's certainly, you were in New England, there's certainly plenty of venison and wild turkey in these woods, aren't there? Oh, yeah. That was one of the fun things was in the morning you would see the... Now, I don't live there. I was visiting there. I live in northern Virginia. But um, you would see the about 10 of them. And they're and they're surprisingly taller than people might think. Um, uh, would come through the yard and eat uh, the relatives that own the house would feed them. They put feed out there, and they, and they like when the wild turkeys come wandering through and about. So that was a very interesting thing to witness. Whenever I go there, it's been about three years now. I've been going there for Thanksgiving. Yes, it's it's really one of the great conservation um, success stories because the wild turkey population, um, especially in New York State where I live and where I'm most familiar with, was dwindling and dwindling. <clears throat> and through a, a combination of a uh, great many groups working together, uh, we brought wild turkey populations back up all across the Northeast. And we're very happy because they're they are big and beautiful birds, larger than mm. you might think. Yeah, uh, very Jurassic looking, <laughs> dinosaur like. 
<laughs> Not like your classic white turkey. There. Yeah. We raised one of those, and I, I must say, birds in general, um, with certain exceptions, are not the brightest beings that I've had relationships with. And this domestic turkey that we raised was definitely one of the most bird brain of all the birds I've met. <laughs> Basically, this turkey wanted nothing to do nothing but eat. Right. And so it was... Because that's what the rule of this universe is, isn't it? I eat you, and you eat me. So I went out and bought corn and fed the turkey, and then the turkey fed me. Right. And what's up next is lights and stars and the return of the light. Hmm. Winter solstice. Of course. Coming our way soon. Here it is already December. And that means winter solstice will be in three short weeks, the longest night. And my wonderful apprentice asked me today if there were any plants that were especially associated with winter solstice. And I thought to myself, well, you know what? That's a good question, and I bet Daniel Michael could answer that question. Well, I would say that anything that survives in winter, such as anything that's an evergreen, anything that is that stays green during the cold time is associated with solstice or with life during dark times. Exactly, and... Whether we call it a Christmas tree or a Hanukkah bush or by right. any other name, it is traditional in most observances of winter solstice to bring a tree inside. Or something green inside, even, as well. Something the green, and to, not to light it on fire. We're not talking about making a bonfire in your dining room there. That could right. be fine. To put a star on it or to string lights on it or somehow with this green living representation of the plants and outdoors to add to it that the idea that the light is returning. Now, it's while it's true that the light is returning, it's still going to get colder and colder and colder and colder. Right. Right, we're not saying, oh yeah, winter's over, the light's returning. No, we're saying, yeah, the light's returning, watch it. Watch it grow and grow and grow, even as we move into the coldest time of the year. And when I was thinking about that and thinking about, oh, I, I, Daniel Michael would, you know, just say a tree or holly. Because most people, when asked, are there any plants associated with solstice or Christmas or Hanukkah, um, no. Uh, but what most people don't know is that this is part of a bigger pattern that I call the trees of the 13 moons. Hmm. And I was wondering if you and I had talked about this at all. I don't think we talked about it last winter. Yeah. I, I You know, I was thinking, gee, this is something that's so, like, 
dear to me and important to me. And so, um, shall we even say part of the training in a way. So let's reel this back a little bit and get a sense of what I'm talking about here when I say the trees of the 13 moons. First of all, to most people of the earth, there are 13 moons in a year, 12 months, but 13 moons. And we kind of know that because we know that if we were to multiply 12 months by four weeks, we'd come up with 48 and we'd be short. So we know that there's that extra moon in the year, that there's not 12 moons in the year, that there's 13 moons. In other words, 13 full moons and or 13 new moons in the year. So that's what the 13 moons is. A complete solar year includes the 13 lunations. And this cycling of the moon and these lunations and the the movement between winter solstice and summer solstice was part of the very early languaging that we had and the symbolizing of that languaging. It's interesting when we look worldwide and we see that some cultures, China, Japan, many of the Asian cultures, and of course, a dynastic Egypt, had a hieroglyphic system. And in a way, a hieroglyphic system is wonderful because you don't have to learn to read in a way if you can tell what the picture means. So the hieroglyph is supposed to, you know, kind of look like what it's representing. Of course, because human beings are very clever, we make it cleverer and cleverer so that you really do have to learn it anyhow. But the idea is a very simple one, unlike, say, the word H-O-T. The word H-O-T in and of itself does not look like something that's hot or a flame. It's just three letters, so it, it requires more of us. And the kind of first movement from hieroglyphics toward alphabetic was something called Ogum. And Ogum is said to be a very, very old symbolic language from the Scandinavian and Germanic countries. And Ogum was meant to be written on trees, scratched in rocks. Ogum has a spine that is a line that goes up and down, and then lines that go out from the up and down line. One, two, three, four, or five lines going to to the right. One, two, three, four, or five lines going to the left. And then lines that go slantwise across the spine, slantwise to the left, or slantwise to the right. Again, one, two, three, four, or five of those. So that we have um, four times five or 20 different positions giving us 
20 different cubby holes. And Ogum really was a series of cubby holes. Now, we can say that this mark, and I'm not going to tell you specifically, I don't want to addle your brain with it, but we could say this mark is a B, or this mark is a T. And we could actually then put a spine and start putting our marks on it and write a message. B-Y-E-B-Y-E, bye-bye. H-E-L-L-O, hello, we could do that. But because Ogum was also a hieroglyphic language or symbolic language, those cubby holes were also filled up with a great number of other things. So Ogum, each Ogum character also represented a knitting pattern. So you could write out how to knit a complicated sweater with Ogum. <clears throat> each Ogum represents a information about the title pattern in that area so that you could leave detailed information for people about how to sail safely in and out of the harbors. Each of the cubby holes was a bird. Each of the cubby holes was a flower. And so on and so on. And of course, each of the cubby holes is a tree. So, those of you who are great at math are going, doesn't work, Susan. You just said there's 13 lunations, and there's 20 of these things. All right. So what we have is the 13 lunations, the trees of the 13 moons, each of which is an ogum. And then we have the eight holidays, the solstices, the equinoxes, and the cross-quarter days. Okay, I know you're very good at math, and you're going... 13 and 7, Susan, is 20. There's not 21, right? There's one missing. And it's true. There is one missing because life is never perfect. What can we say? And in fact, um, what they also did, when they threw in the one that was missing, they also added another one for winter solstice because it's such an important holiday. But one of the things that I have always really enjoyed offering as a class is the Trees of the Thirteen Moons class. And my favorite way to teach this class is to take two whole days and to go out with the group and to start with the first lunation. The first lunation starts with the first new moon after winter solstice. So that's the first lunar month of the year that starts at that new moon. And that tree is birch tree. The ogum is B, known as Beth, as in Hebrew, the ogums have personalities, so they have names. You might say, well, A has a name, it's A, but it's a bit different in the energy that has accrued around these. So, Beth is for beginning. 
and birch, which is betula, its scientific name is betula, is most immediately thought of as being a white birch. There are other birches. There are golden birches. There are black birches. But when we say birch, what most of us immediately see in our mind's eye is the white birch. And we might imagine the white birch high on a mountaintop, snow glittering around it at the first full moon of the year. If you give your lover a piece of birch, it means you may begin. And we think about the saunas and the birch twigs that are used in saunas Mm. for scourging, for wiping away the winter and the return of the light. And to continue then, for that first day, going to the first six or seven trees, and then the second day, going to the remaining six or seven trees, and spending time with each one of those trees, not just the lore, some of which I've shared here with you about birch, but also um, some of the other ogum things that are associated there, and of course, the medicinal uses of the trees, and interestingly enough, the utilitarian uses of the trees. Birch is a very highly prized wood, unless you want to burn it in your fireplace, and nobody likes to burn birch in their fireplace because it just burns right up. But the fact that it burns right up is partly because it's not strongly knit together like oak, and that means that birch bends well. Think about all those old trailers, those pretty trailers, back in the 50s. All the wood in them was birch veneer. It's a beautiful golden color, the wood. It makes a great veneer. It bends well. It can be used in snowshoes and other applications like that. So as we move into each tree, we start to get a real sense of how important these particular 13 trees are, all 20 or 21 trees, in fact, are very important to human beings, but how important the trees still are to us. And I think, to me, that that is something that helps us feel less stressed. When we start to really stand up straight enough to be in a relationship with a tree. Mm. And to say, I'm, I'm not here alone. The trees are here with me. And all of the many, many things then that the trees can do. Now, I do a Beth Louis Neon Ogum cycle. Needless to say, this ancient 
way of symbolically representing things. There is nobody left who's a native uh, writer or speaker of this. And so the experts disagree. And you will find that um, there are those who do not start with Beth Louis Neon, as I do, but they start at a different place in the alphabet, and they have their own very good reasons for doing this. I feel as part of the rhythm of the solstices and the lunations that starting with birch at the first new moon after winter solstice really works with where I live. And it moves then from birch to mountain ash. The great Missy Moosey. The great guardian tree, the mountain ash. With its beautiful orange berries. And the neon, the tree of the mother-child relationship, which is echoed in our word for a woman's maiden name, which which we indicate with me, N-E-E. So neon, the the ash, the third ogham, the third lunation. Now, as we move through... The first half of these, people are usually very happy and very comfortable because they are, in fact, trees. And nobody would argue at all. But as we move through the seventh one, which is oak, the great she-bear, the tree in the middle, the tree whose roots go to the center of the earth and whose crown touches the pole star, and the entire earth turns on the axis mundi, which is the great oak tree. And from there, as we move into the remaining six trees of the 13 moons, people have a harder time because they're not so tree-like. Elderberry, certainly in the northeast, rarely grows into a tree. It is usually a bush. I will say, however, that in Europe, especially in Germany, I definitely have seen elderberry growing as a tree. Hmm. Witch hazel or hazel, we're not exactly sure which hazel doesn't grow in Europe, and so probably wasn't, but it's the one I think of because hazel is not so common. And why was witch hazel called hazel? Because it was thought that it was witched. Witch hazel has leaves that look like hazel, not the nut tree leaves, but the witch hazel never makes nuts. So it was the witched hazel because it didn't have nuts, although it looked like a small hazel tree. Okay, we can kind of accommodate ourselves to those, but what about Muin, the vine? And here again, the experts differ. Some saying the vine, of course, means grapevine, 
and others saying, no, actually, you know, that far north, probably it wasn't grapevine, probably it was raspberries or brambles, which are being called the vine there. And so in some respects, we can immediately say, oh, yeah, Susan, that's not a tree. How can you call this the trees of the 13 moons? But if we look at what's actually going on with these plants, the roots of both grapevines and brambles, whether the raspberries or blackberries, are very, very long-lived perennials, living longer sometimes than a tree would. Hmm. So we don't think of that, but think about even a vineyard with grapevines. Once those vines are planted, do they have to replant them? Right. No. They just prune them. Of course. When I was was in Israel, they showed me grapevines that they swore were over 2,000 years old. Mm. They said, you know, this vineyard has been here at this place in the Holy Land for all of these centuries. And I see no reason to disbelieve that. Right. So, no, you know, especially... The way grapevines are tended, they don't look like trees to us, but in terms of longevity and power and magic and mystery and medicine, yeah. yeah. And the same thing with the raspberries and the blackberries. The root of the raspberry and the blackberry is a long-lived perennial, but the canes are biennials. Mm. So every year, the root sends up first-year canes. And those first-year canes have leaves. And they drop their leaves at the end of the first year, but stay above ground. The cane doesn't disappear. It's still there. And when the second year comes, that cane leaves out and now has flowers and fruit. And at the end of the second year, it dies. So every year, new canes are being made by the raspberry or the blackberry, which don't bear fruit, and those are the ones that the herbalist use. And every year, there are also canes from the previous year that are bearing fruit that will then die at the end of that year. So once again, we're talking about a plant that, while it never looks like a tree to us, although I tell you, when I was at my brother's farm in Oregon, the blackberry brambles out there did look like trees. Some of them were as thick as my wrist and over eight feet tall. You really have to see what they're getting at. And what they're getting at is not so much that it has to have a single trunk and be over 100 feet tall, but that we're looking at plants that carry an enormous amount of power. So perhaps as we move into these cold, wintry months where there's not so much for us to do outside, perhaps what we will do to amuse ourselves is to delve a little more deeply into the trees of the 13 moons, and maybe I can give this class bit by bit here with you on Main Street. Absolutely. That would be beautiful.
All right. I think we're about out of time now. We are indeed. So thank you so much for um, making it easy for people to get from uh, this show to the Wise Woman Bookshop where they can find my books. And there should be some specials going on right now as part of the holiday cheer. We have a sexy special and an herbal special and a good-for-your-skin special. My brother has just started a new line of skincare products with wonderful, amazing oils and nothing synthetic and no sense. It's just amazing stuff. And every order from the Wise Woman Bookshop is going to get a trial size sample of these products during the month of December. So come on by to the Wise Woman Bookshop. All right. Great. Okay. Thank you so much, Susan Weed. It's been such a pleasure, as always, every week. Thank you, too, Daniel. Green blessings, everyone. Remember, herbal medicine is people's medicine. It's the medicine that grows right outside your door. Absolutely. Thank you. You've been listening to Green Magic, Green Medicine with your hostess, Susan Weed. Have a great week, everyone. And remember, we'll be back tomorrow night with Main Street Universe, and our guest will be talking about fairy magic. Her name is Morgan Daimler. Have a great evening. Archaeology, Forgotten History, Divination, Magic, Cryptozoology, UFOs, Nature, Science, and Spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.